Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, for forecasts, and for success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations around the country, iTunes, YouTube, however you're joining us, we appreciate you being with us. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about industrial real estate 2017. We're going to look at what has happened in 2016 in the last few years with industrial, and also we're going to look forward what might happen down the road. We'll also talk about some of the economic things that are happening in the world today that could impact industrial moving forward. Please welcome my first guest is Victor Kalanog. He is chief economist with Reese. Victor is uh, joining us on the phone today. Victor, thanks for being with us. Michael, thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate it. And so what did industrial do? It seems like industrial's just done really well. You know, you get the housing market coming back. You've got more people buying online. It seems like industrial is the, the hot sector. You, you know, Michael, it's great that you mentioned that. Unlike uh, a couple of other sectors, say even the darling of multifamily and commercial investing, even multifamily or even an office where we've observed national vacancies to be pretty flat in the third quarter, you see a, a decent amount of improvement depending on the industrial subsector you're examining. For example, if you look at warehouse and distribution vacancies, sure, it was flat at 10.5% in the, in the third quarter of 2016, but that's been moderating from above 11% at the start of the year. So the third quarter was flat, but we also built a lot of new buildings. So when you're looking at zero vacancy change in the midst of a ton of supply coming online, that's generally a good thing. If you take a look at flex R&D vacancies, it actually fell by 20 basis points in the third quarter to 11.4%. And we're seeing still relatively tepid supply growth, so it's still tight for for industrial properties with more of an office finish, but effective rent growth has still been positive. We haven't seen any kind of decline. Unlike, again, I'm just trying to contrast this with uh, what keeps a whole lot of lenders and investors busy in the U.S. with multifamily, where we are seeing kind of cracks in the system as effective rents begin to fall, as concessions begin to make their way back again, especially in the most overheated apartment markets out there. Unlike, in, uh, unlike multifamily, unlike even retail, You've got industrial fundamentals holding up really well. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of new supply. So are more industrial developers building spec? I, I would say that there's a larger amount of spec building out there relative to previous years. I'd like to contrast that with, say, even the office sector where there's rarely spec building unless you've got a good amount of pre-leasing commitment from existing tenants. The interesting thing about industrial, of course, is that it, it, especially for warehouse distribution, it's benefiting directly from what ails retail right now with the development of e-commerce, with more people shopping online. You've got the Amazons of this world recently making announcement that they're, that they're making forays into grocery-type spaces, which would probably increase demand for warehouse distribution space near urban locations. So uh, industrial really has a lot of tailwinds going for it at this point in ways that are actually hurting other commercial property types. So whatever's ailing those other property types is actually serving as a boon for industrial. And Victor, what kind of is this demand doing? What's this demand doing to rents? 
Well, the rents have uh, now rents have not been Im- rent growth has not been immune to the general slowdown that the U.S. economy has experienced of late, right? I mean, uh, you've got job growth peaking in 2014, actually declining slightly in 2015 and this year. So, uh, when you take a look at effective rent growth, it used to average and or peak at around 0.6.7 percent per quarter over the last uh, eight. 12 quarters or so. Well, over the last four quarters or so, that's declined to maybe 0.4, 0.5%. That's on a per quarter basis. You've got a little bit of a knockoff there when it comes to effective rent growth, but 0.5% is still pretty decent. The office sector would love to have that kind of national rent growth, uh, at least on the global scale. So, uh, again, it's not immune to general economic headwinds, but rent growth is still positive, and depending on the sector and metro, we are seeing vacancies to decline, even as we expect anywhere from 70 to 75 million square feet of new warehouse space to deliver this year. So a slight slowdown on the rent increases in industrial, and is all that just because of increased supply? It, it could probably be partly because of that. I mean, when you take a look at some of the newer properties that are built, it's kind of a push and pull. You've got them trying to lease the space out at anywhere from a 10 to 15% premium versus existing stock. But when then you take a look at the same stock of inventory uh, holding its own against tougher competition and more space that's out there, there you'll see a little bit more weakness when it comes to effective rent growth. So it's a bit of push and pull as the newer properties really start to compete more with the existing stock. And Victor, we're talking to Victor Kalinog, chief economist with Reese, about the industrial market performance. So, where are there opportunities? Where do you, what type of space do you see the most demand increasing moving forward? Well, you know, again, we try to subdivide the world into warehouse distribution and flex R&D. Right now, the momentum is really in warehouse and distribution markets. If you take a look at where construction is happening, about 52% of uh, construction through the 82 metros that we track happened in five metros. In Chicago, in San Bernardino, Riverside, you've got Atlanta with 1.4 million square feet being built. You've got Houston, of all places, suffering from low energy prices with about a million square feet of industrial coming online. And then you've got Denver really benefiting from a lot of the economic tailwinds that uh, I think uh, the legalization of a certain substance has really provided for it with about 740,000 square feet of new space. So of this uh, new construction in our top five metros, about 30% of them were actually pre-leased. So you've got a lot of interest there, especially in the typical industrial port-type metros, uh, metros like Chicago that benefit from the intermodal transport system. And where you are right now, Michael, I mean, you tell me what kind of activity are you seeing in Atlanta warehouse distribution? We're yeah. seeing, we seem to be seeing a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, it's real active. And uh, yeah, I think people expect that industrial is a, a great place to be with online sales continuing to prove you got some of these uh, eastern markets that maybe open up and get even busier with the deepening and widening of these ports here and um, so you know, a lot of our listeners are own large institutional properties and they control them and buy them and also a lot of our listeners are in smaller markets where they may have smaller industrial properties what do you say to what do you what's your outlook for some of those maybe smaller tenants buildings 
Well, what's interesting is that I think that when you take a look at this rising tide of demand for warehouse distribution, uh, I suspect that it will benefit even the smaller markets, aside from the larger markets benefiting from being a, a port city or somewhere between the intermodal transport system, or just a place where demand is strong, like the typical Northeast markets where the Amazons of this world want to deliver sooner. With that said, I think the phenomenon of ordering online really spans metros across the country, and if you've got smaller markets benefiting from it, even in a proportionately less way than the most urbanized of markets, you've got that rising tide lifting that boat too. Maybe, I mean, let's just take a look at metro by metro splits. If you take a look at our, uh, say, effective rents for both warehouse distribution and flex R&D proper uh, metros, we've actually have effective rents increasing in, well, you know, we track 47 major markets here. We've had effective rents increasing in all 47 of them. And, you know, I would characterize the top 20 to be pretty much the large markets and the rest of them to be smaller markets. So there's that tide that's really lifting a whole lot of boats, even in the smaller markets. Okay, so what do you expect for 2017, Victor, as far as rental increases and, and occupancy levels? Now, when it comes to forecasts, for where industrial is going, I'm going to anchor it on a couple of observations. Number one, when you take a look at national employment growth in warehousing and storage, it's grown by 3.8% so far in 2016, given the most recently available statistics. That same sector grew by 8.4% in 2015. Back in 2015, that was the fastest growing industry in the U.S. when you measure it in terms of how many people it employs, right? So moving forward, it does look like even employment in warehousing and storage took a little bit of aid in 2016. Everyone did. The entire economy slowed down. But barring a major downturn, I suspect uh, a fairly good year for 2017, a little bit more of a slow and steady growth for industrial where you expect more, where we expect more flatness in other property types. So this is me as an economist being relatively optimistic. <laughs> and we like to hear economists being optimistic. Right. And... It's, it's so out of character, but uh, that's, that's the case for industrial with me. There, there are a few other subtypes where I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic as well, like um, generally for student housing mm-hmm. and for affordable housing, but th- that's not our topic right now. Yeah. Right now, it's industrial, and guess what? As an economist, I, I have to say I can rag on other sectors. For industrial, I'm, I'm on the positive side. I'm on the glass half full side. Well, that's fantastic, and we're t- going to take a, a short break. When we get back, we're going to ask Victor about the capital markets, about cap rates about investment sales and property values. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to Industrial Real Estate 2017. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Michael Ball. We're talking to Victor Kalinog. He's a chief economist with Reese. And, and Victor, we talked in the previous segment about really how well industrial real estate is still performing around the U.S. So how is that impacting sales volumes today? Now, 
like 2015, a lot of the investment sales we are seeing in industrial involved portfolio sales. So I want, I mean, the, the, the big the big dog in the story last year was, of course, the GIC's purchase of uh, Incor and Prologis, uh, a big proportion of Prologis's uh, uh, operations here in the U.S. So th- there's certainly a lot of interest out there in investors, and I think what's also driving that, when you take a look at where large sovereign wealth funds are concerned, is they are exiting out of a lot of markets and or property types where they feel like fundamentals have peaked. And the fact that they are plowing that money back into industrial properties where, I mean, let's just take a look at the cap rates, right? You know, values declined anywhere from 30 to 40 percent uh, from 08 and 09, but versus their previous peak back in 2007, I believe we're up around 8 or 9% at this point. So uh, you've got cap rates trending in the mid to the low sixes, which is fairly healthy for industrial. And though you've got a lot of saber rattling from the Federal Reserve about a potential increase in interest rates, our take on it here is that it will actually benefit a lot of real assets in the U.S., primarily industrial, because the U.S. will be perceived on a risk-adjusted basis, is very attractive for investment. So whether it's domestic or foreign, you've got a lot of interest in industrial properties right now, driven by very strong fundamentals. Wow. So you just covered a lot of things that I'm curious about, yeah, uh, Victor. Sorry about that. No worries. No, I, that's a perfect setup because uh, you mentioned uh, sovereign funds so uh, and foreign investment in U.S. real estate. So should that continue to ramp up and how might that impact uh, real estate in the U.S.? You know, what's really interesting is that we hear a lot of negative talk about how our economy's only grown by around 2%, 2.1% since the economy, since the recession ended in mid-2009. But on a risk-adjusted basis, if you take a look at all of our other major trading partners, I mean, let's go down the list. Britain, uh, Canada's doing okay, Australia's doing okay, but you've got the EU uh, on its ropes with negative interest rates, you've got Japan almost in the same boat, and when you take a look at the rest of the world, our 2% growth rate economy isn't doing so poorly. So uh, you've got a, a lot of interest uh, in not just U.S. equity or financial instruments, but most especially really real assets. And right on top of that is would really be income-producing assets like industrial properties. That's what's really interesting a lot of these sovereign wealth funds. Yeah. So you expect foreign investment in U.S. real estate to uh, continue to increase? I mean, I think so, I mean, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to a lot of the English-speaking countries where you've got a lot of interlingual trade across the former British colonies and X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, you, with Britain pretty much on the ropes, very uncertain about Brexit, a lot of that money will probably benefit American real estate, at least in the near term. Right. So what's that going to do to cap rates moving forward in 2017? What's interesting about cap rates right now, Michael, is that I think a lot of people expected cap rates to start going up once an interest rate regime in the U.S. started ratcheting up rates, right? So you've got the Fed 
saber-rattling since at least late last year when they first raised the overnight borrowing rate by 25 bips. We might have another rate increase this year, but all that's doing is that it appears to be signaling the overall robustness of the economy of the United States. And so what's happening is that you still have long-term interest rates like the 10-year, the 20-year, the 30-year Treasury being relatively flat. You've got the yield curve not bending downwards, so you have no indication that there will be a recession in the near term, at least if you believe these market indicators. And you've got cap rates staying relatively flat. So, you know, the big conundrum for a lot of folks who haven't taken a look at this very closely is that why aren't cap rates rising when all of our conservative projections over the next three to five years suggests that it should, because it's been declining for so long? And the answer is, five years from now, I do think that it's prudent to try and underwrite deals with slightly higher cap rates if we expect that interest rates will just keep on increasing. But right now, the next 12 to 18 months, just expect really flat cap rates. And in the most active of markets, you might even see them decline. Wow. Well, that's interesting because would, do you expect some, some interest rate increases in 2017? And if so, how much would you assume you would see? I think it's really hard to read the Fed at this point. What they're basically doing is they're trying to put more arrows back into their quiver in case they have to lower interest rates again should we run into some kind of economic contraction in the near term. So to the extent that inflation is still relatively tame and to the extent that unemployment is below 5%, you've got the Fed basically saying the U.S. economy is in decent shape and we should probably be able to withstand uh, few basis point increase in interest rates. If you take a look at their guidance, they're expecting to raise rates anywhere to 35 to 4%. That would be the overnight borrowing rate. Obviously, they're going to try to phase that in and not do that over the course of a year. But if I was a betting man, and if we are on this steady course of slow but steady improvement in the overall economy, I wouldn't rule out a 25 or 50 basis point increase in rates uh, this coming year. Okay. So what interest rate would you assume to you would see in two years and then a corresponding cap rate if you were just kind of overall estimating? I mean, because like you said before, if you're looking at an exit cap rate, you got to consider that uh, the cost of money is going to be higher, right? Right. So uh, what would you tell an investor who's maybe thinking he's going to sell, maybe he decides he's not selling today, and he wants to look at maybe selling three years from now? I think the, the models that I've seen run out there with relatively conservative assumptions uh, has cap rates rising by around 100 basis points from their current base. Obviously, if you're going in, cap rate is very, very low at 3% or below. You might want to underwrite even more conservative assumptions. I mean, it's not much to jump from 25 to 4%, but that will wreak havoc on your valuations. So the game then becomes add 100 bips to your going in cap rate, see what happens to your valuations, how much income growth can you expect within your holding period, and does that meet up to your IRR projections for this investment to make sense, whether from an unlevered or an unlevered perspective. Uh, that's what we're seeing. You might go and ask, tell, tell me, hey, Victor, doesn't that, doesn't that fly in the face of what you're saying? We're at 
0.25% overnight borrowing rate rate right now. The Fed wants to raise it to three five four. If they get there five years from now, shouldn't we be adding another three hundred bips to our cap rates? Well, the fun part is you still got spreads over Treasuries blown out. Right? It used to be about two fifty bips. Now it's about four hundred bips, still hovering at that. So you'll see some compression in that spread before you see upward pressure on cap rate. So 100, 150 basis points above your going in cap rate, assuming it's low right now or perceived to be low, is not a bad conservative estimate, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Well, good points, Victor, and uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. If you like more information from Victor and the good people at Reese, you can visit their website at Reese.com. That's R-E-I-S.com. And it's interesting when you look at the, the market today, if you're considering selling today or three or four years from now, you kind of know what's going on today. You know it's a hot market. Uh, that you're going to get a good number if your property's marketed well. What do you really know three or four years from now? Really interesting. We're going to talk some more about industrial real estate, about warehouse, what to expect moving forward and some success strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we were having fun talking about industrial real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren. They're both with PwC. They're joining us here in Studio One. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. It's great to be with us. So we've heard the numbers, industrial real estate. Industrial real estate seems to be doing really well. I suppose that means there's still a lot of opportunity out there. What are some things that you guys see that's really impacting that sector? I think the biggest thing is the industrial market has expanded from just being goods and manufacturing to including retail. It's replaced a lot of that retail space that's, you know, we've heard about is going out of the market because people are buying things online and it's created a whole new segment that I think has grown faster than anybody ever imagined that it would. Yeah, I think of retail um, from a supply chain perspective, right? So um, a lot of um, industrial use had been part of the manufacturing ecosystem in this country and now industrial has been become real big in the retail ecosystem so it's really changed where it needed to be industrial needed to be near where the plant was near where the raw materials came in on a rail line um, near where the materials once they got fabricated need to get shipped to now it's really about people buying stuff with their mobile devices. Mine's in the charger right now, otherwise I'd use it as a prop. But now, you know, we buy stuff with mobile devices and it has to get to us. And it's really been a big part of the delivery chain for retailing and less about manufacturing. Well, why do we need it? Can't we just 3D print our, our things? We right. can't 3D print a phone, a cell phone, can we? I, the thing I buy the most in my life is charging cables for my phone because I never seem to have them and my kids <laughs> seem to break them. They, so I'm constantly them. Yeah. buying them. Every time I take one out, it's taking me taken out of the wrapper. But um, the fact of the matter is, just think about that impulse purchase of relative, less than $10 transaction, no shipping fees. Um, it's a highly purchased item, and the the online retailers nearly, and there's not just one, okay, but the online retailers 
have tremendous data about what you're buying, when you're buying it, and so forth. They live in the land of big data, and they can predict pretty closely how many of those three-pack charging cables for less than $10. That you're going to buy? That, that I personally, <laughs> they, they know I'm buying one a month, okay? That's why that new fulfillment center is right by Mitch's house. Right, it needs to be yeah, somewhere in White Plains, New York, that yeah. fulfillment center. But the fact of the matter is, if they have all that data, then they're figuring out when come the holidays where things need to be. But it's really been more about fulfillment um, not of my insatiable need to buy stuff, but, but fulfilling the orders of yeah. online retailers. Well, you guys have clients at PwC all over the world. So are your investors that you talk to, are they is industrial like their favorite sector now? I mean, Well, what's interesting is um, the work we've done research-wise really put um, industrial at the forefront in terms of being a hot asset class for investment several years ago. And I'm thinking for a second about the emerging trends of real estate work we do, but some of the other research we do with PwC Real Estate Investor Survey. We, we've heard from investors that it was a hot thing several years ago. Um, in fact, if I take credit for coining phrases, I said on CNBC that it was the least sexy of all real estate sub-asset classes, and uh, that's tweetable, or not rather Googleable right now if you want to <laughs> find it. But what's interesting but is- But is it still the least sexy? Yeah, well, I, what's interesting, yeah. whether it's sexy or not is not relevant. Whether or not it's hot in the eyes of investors yeah. is, and it continues to be, um, yeah. because there's, there's measurable demand for it um, with less beta uh, than there may be the demand for office space, right? This demand for office space is pent up demand for office space, but I think the beta is a little higher as it relates to demand for other sub-asset classes. So where are some opportunities uh, in industrial real estate? Uh, there are certain markets or property types, uh, areas? You, you look at the markets that were late recovery markets because the industrial market recovered via fulfillment centers first, then it kind of filtered down to the big markets. Now some of these secondary markets or you know, late recovery is a better descriptive term that are now seeing their housing market kind of recover. So that's kind of helping that lower sector. So I think you've kind of go down the uh, scale of the, the markets to find the best opportunity. I'd also look at uh, economic and demographic data. I'd look at markets that have population growth on two ends of the spectrum. The millennial population growth and then the baby boomer population growth growth not falling off because um, that shows you that there's some depth and breadth to the sustainability of the economy there and let's not forget for a second gen z okay because gen z for retail is probably going to be as important as any uh, generational cohort we've thought about because that's a generation that's grown up entirely in a digital shopping world, right? So millennials, even though they're used to mobile devices, some of them are in their 30s and actually grew up when they were taken to stores as a kid. Um, not that Gen Z weren't taken to stores, but uh, digital has been a shopping reality for most of their lives. And uh, I think they're going to take online retailing to the next level. Yeah, well said, gentlemen. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the industrial real estate market right after this message. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show.
commercial real estate owners defer thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of tax dollars through cost segregation. I recommend Ernst & Morris. Call 1-800-COST-SEG or visit costseg.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about Industrial Real Estate 2017. Please welcome my next guest. It's Renee Sirk. He's with CoStar, and Renee is joining us on the phone line today. Renee, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, Renee, so how did uh, for the first part of this year uh, shake out performance-wise? It seemed like that Industrial Real Estate has been doing really well. You know, it's funny. When we talked last year, Real estate, industrial real estate was doing really well. This year is doing really, really well. <laughs> uh, it's 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 unprecedented. If you look at the last quarter, the third quarter of this year, we had about 56 million square feet absorbed, and that's just in the logistics segment. We are going to hit uh, probably about 15 percent improvement from last wow. year, uh, year over year, in terms of total demand this year, total net absorption. So it's really, it's really as strong as it's ever been. In fact, third quarter of this year, it was a record number in terms of our statistics, and they go back you know, 20-some years. Wow, that's amazing. So is this all from the Internet explosion? Vast majority of it is. It's really companies trying to get closer to the end customer, and um, as a result of that, they open up, they're opening up more distribution centers. They are carrying more inventory. You see it in the inventory to sales ratios, but that's been, that's been phenomenal for demand for the big boxes. Yeah. So what's this doing to rental rates and occupancy numbers? Well, our vacancy rate is down to about 7.1% uh, for the logistics space, and that is, that is actually we are now down to the best trading ever. I mean, forget about comparing to the best trading of the last cycle we are nearly 300 basis points better than that. But now we are better than the internet bubble years of, you know, 1999. Wow. And rent growth, you know, is growing. You would think this is the multifamily sector or something. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think we are forecasting about 6.3% year over year wow. uh, this year. And that would be actually a little better than we did last year. We did 6.2 last year. Wow. That's fantastic. I, I guess all our industrial property owners are just doing the Snoopy dance today. This is fantastic. So what do you expect moving forward? Should we see more of this uh, phenomenal growth? Well, now the movement is going to be more closer to the infill location, the last mile. And those are obviously much smaller buildings, much smaller chunks. So I, we will definitely continue to see good demand. A vacancy will stabilize a lot of lot of this new supply that's under construction delivers but it's not going to move in as large of a chunks and so it'll probably will probably uh, come down a little bit but still a very very healthy number and strong right growth next year as well and then we talked about the the, the internet sales increase and the the last mile and and industrial properties kind of benefiting from that. But what else is benefiting industrial real estate? Are the, are there any onshoring really happening? Are people bringing back business to the U.S. yet? Uh, or is there also some improvement in industrial space from uh, housing doing better? Well, the housing is an easier question to answer. Without a doubt, housing is driving demand uh, in a lot of markets like the Florida markets, Phoenix, a lot of the bust markets of the last cycle, they are starting to see it. And you can definitely see it in the light industrial sector where net absorption is strong across the board, and that is, that is a good thing. The, the onshoring is a little bit more difficult uh, to measure. 
in certain pockets, absolutely, there is some level of increased activity, but it is a it is a relatively minor component of the total demand. But if you look at Detroit, Detroit has been going strong for several years in a row now. It's you know, for Detroit recession didn't start in '07; it started in 2001. And now we are on readings that are better than that. So you, there is some evidence of manufacturing as well. Okay. We're talking with Renee Sirk with CoStar about the industrial real estate market in the U.S. And so, Renee, are there any certain property types, classes, sizes, or, or maybe geographic areas where you see more growth than others? I think the biggest difference this time versus last time oh, and last cycle is that the East Coast has become a lot more interesting. Um, historically, it was Inland Empire, Dallas, Atlanta, and Chicago. Now you have markets like the Lehigh Valley, Harrisburg, uh, where some of these large regional distribution hubs are being created. So it's actually opened up some new investment opportunities that probably would have been off the radar you know, 10, 15 years ago. So that's probably the biggest change that we are seeing. It's actually the playing field has, has grown, which is a good thing. And where do you see some opportunities for investors maybe buying existing property that, that may lease up better uh, in 2017 or maybe new development? Well, the market is pretty much tied everywhere. The bigger problem is the, is the pricing, which is, which is very, very tight. But uh, in terms of demand, I mean, we are still expecting strong demand in the standard, you know, the, 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 the Dallas's and Chicago's of the world. But my favorite market today is the Lehigh Valley. It's been, I've been calling for the market to do well for a couple of years now. And that is definitely a market. Trying to figure out how to best serve the New York, D.C. region is going to be probably the most rewarding uh, investment opportunity. Okay. And what do you mean by pricing is very tight? Well, if you look at cap rates, if you look at price per pound, we are at new new peaks or, or, or valleys, depending on how you look at the cap rate. But we are seeing cap rates that are down to 4%. We are seeing pricing that's above replacement cost pretty much, pretty much everywhere. I mean, the one interesting segment of the market is still the light industrial segment. Uh, that one pricing has moved up significantly since we started recommending it about 2012, but so have construction costs. And there are still opportunities to either build or buy the line industrial sector a little bit more than on the logistics side. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good. And, and we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to talk to Renee a little bit more about the investment market. Where does he see cap rates? Where does he see moving in 2017? And how might rising interest rates, if they're ever going to rise, right, impact the industrial real estate market? So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with commercial real estate decision makers? Well, look for the tab Upcoming Conferences at the website InterfaceConferenceGroup.com. That's InterfaceConferenceGroup.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com.
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking industrial real estate 2017. My guest is Renee Sirk. He is with CoStar. He's joining us on the phone. So, Renee, we talked about how active the industrial market has been, the, the incredible rent growth that we've had that, like you mentioned before, it's just unprecedented in the industrial real estate market, how things have improved. So, what is that doing to the investment market? Where is that pushing cap rates on some of the various sizes and types of properties? Well, their industrial is not unique in the sense that cap rates, because of the interest rates being so low, are very low across the board. We are seeing some numbers, maybe even sub four. You know, it depends to which side of the deal you listen to and, you know, whether they talk in place or stabilized. But we've seen Orange County some new developments training around around a four cap that maybe could maybe could rise to a four and a quarter cap. So that's those are numbers, those are cap rates we really haven't seen in industrial. I think the bigger difference though this time versus last is that capital is a little bit more disciplined, if you will, if you can consider four four caps disciplined. But <laughs> we do have a bigger spread between A and B markets and between A and B properties. Uh, than we had in 2007. The concept of risk was not really fully understood in 07. I think it's a little better today. I see. So does that mean there may be some opportunities investors in, in some of the B-type properties? I think there definitely are opportunities. There's, there's two ways to look at it. One, demand is pretty strong, and there's not a lot of vacancy in modern space. Uh, and especially if you think about the infill locations that could serve the serve the last mile distribution, those are all B at best. Maybe there's a handful of new buildings, but in general it's Bs. Those buildings, they are going to see more demand than they historically did, and there are some opportunities for sure. And I also think that the next recession is going to be a little bit milder than last, and it's not going to hit the local business as much as last. So probably withstanding the recession, uh, the whole segment's going to do better. Okay. And you mentioned that cap rates are low, and in part because of the low interest rates. So what do you expect moving forward for interest rates in 2017, and how might that impact cap rates when it comes to industrial properties? So our expectation is that uh, cap rates are not going to move. Um, there is, you could argue, there is easy 100 basis point spread available still uh, between the risk-free rate and cap rates relative to historic standards. I think also industrial has become a lot more institutionally accepted asset class, which when you have investors with the lowest cost of capital chasing your your product, uh, prices will stay high and cap rates will stay low. So we are not worried. I'm not worried about the first 100 basis points in in, uh, interest rates increases. Now, I also don't think that interest rates are going to rise more than that before the next recession. So I think we're okay. Okay, so what would be your crystal ball guess as to when is that next recession or, or downturn, I like to call it? <laughs> well, we, <laughs> good question. So as long as you promise not to hold me to it, okay. uh, our model says uh, second half of 2018, first half of 2019. By 2019, our, our probability of recession, cumulative probability, is, is up to like 80% now. So, you know, that's as good as guess as any, but I would say late 2018. Right. And it's interesting what you said, though. It's it, You expect it to be milder, and we don't have the excessive overbuilding that we've had in past uh, great times, have we? Yes. I mentioned the first segment, vacancies are down 280 or so basis points below their best rating of the last cycle. 
So even if the recession was as severe as last time, we would be 300 basis points better than, than last time to begin with. And I do think it's going to be, I do think it's going to be milder. The, the best way to think about the market today, though, is whatever you're going to buy today, assume you're going to hold it through the next recession. Right. So buy things that you want to own. Right. You heard it here from Renee Sirk at CoStar. Renee, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for joining us on one of the stations around the country, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Be sure and connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And join us next week. We're going to talk about retail. Until next week, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Valuate, online investment analysis. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. Apto, the CRM for commercial brokers. You're invited to contact these companies through the show website, CREshow.com.